104.7 The Cave. KKLH, Marshfield, Springfield. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Touchdown, Kansas City! Now... It's time for Ned Talk. It is a absolutely gorgeous day in the Ozarks with the sun out and the temperature is warm and we are sitting inside <laughs> in a room that has no windows except to see <laughs> internally in the building. But here we are because we love you guys and we want to talk about sports. It's our local live sports talk show. It is called Ned Talk. It's named after the guy that's sitting right over to the right of me. His name is Ted Reynolds. How are you, sir? I'm sitting on the right hand. Did you get that? The right, the right, <laughs> the right hand. Yes. A little biblical reference there. Yes. Uh, okay. doing, doing great. How can you not on a beautiful day like this? This is, it's, this is the, the paragon of spring right here. Biblical reference. What are you trying to say about me? <laughs> All right. You're the one who runs the show, man. Josh, Robert, Josh Roberts is over here, too. Josh, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. I've decided I'm going to get in shape because I want to fight Mike Tyson. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Brain damage in your future, maybe? Yes, possibly. Most okay. likely. We skipped over John. We'll come back to him. John Oliver, how are you today, sir? I'm doing well. I appreciate the one window. I've been in a lot of rooms that didn't have any windows and had bouncy walls. A lot of Mexican, Mexican jails <laughs> in your past. Jake Gillette's not with us today. Jake is at the Masters. If you're looking for him on TV, he's the white guy wearing a ball cap. So uh, yeah, you might exactly. be able to, you might be able to point him out here. Here. So here. naturally, uh, let's let's start out with uh, with the big news story. USFL kicks off their season next weekend. No, we'll start with <laughs> we'll start with the Masters. All right. Yep. So Neb, what's your uh, what's your thoughts in the first three rounds? Scotty Scheffler is the number one golfer in the world. So the fact that he is in the lead now, whether or not he holds that lead, remains to be seen because it's tenuous. He was at one time 11 strokes under par and uh, leading the field by five and six. Well, that has dwindled uh, considerably. He's only three shots ahead. Mm -hmm. And the golfers who are chasing him are all elite. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there are other golfers in the field. (laughs) guy asked me the other day, who's going to win? So Tiger Woods, the only one playing, isn't he? You look at the media and you think he's the only one playing. Mm-hmm. But uh, he currently is nine over par at the moment. He's He struggled and you knew it was going to happen. You knew it would happen because of two reasons. Number one, he's still, I think, compromised. His, his game is not. His upper body, I think, is in great shape and he mm-hmm. can swing. But still walking around and expecting to come in after almost two years of no competition. Mm-hmm. Now, think about that. Yeah. The analogy I want to make is the Cardinals, let's say they get the World Series. Mm-hmm. They look down Stillwater, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Hey, hey, hey Matt Holliday, will you come back and suit up for the World mm-hmm. Series here and hit a few home runs? <laughs> He's had nothing. He's had no yes. way. Walked the course for nine holes, maybe a couple days. That isn't the same as playing in competition. Oh, no. He's had no... Your, your home mindset is so different when you're playing in really stiff competition, and he's had none. So this, the fact that he's way over par and out of contention doesn't surprise me at all. The fact that he made the cut is pretty doggone good, though. Mm-hmm. I think the big story here, at least for me, is the fact that it goes to what you said, Ned, that this guy hasn't played for two years. He was in a major car accident, and here he is. He's back out in the golf course, and up until you know Friday, he was, you know, I wouldn't say in contention, but he was certainly not out of contention. He had a bad day yesterday. But it's just amazing that this man has been through as much as he's been through, as much as he's also put himself through. Mm -hmm. And here he is 
playing in the Masters at an extremely high level. Well, he was at a high level, then, and that's just it. When you're, This is a very difficult course. Augusta National never changes in terms of its locale, but it does change in the level of competitive aspect that it has. It's very hilly, and it's very tough to walk, even for somebody who isn't compromised. Mm-hmm. You knew fatigue was eventually going to get him. It had to. He's just not in shape enough to do this. And while he did have the practice rounds, of nine holes one day and nine holes another and nine holes a third day. They are nine holes. It's not walking 18 in one round, and the practice rounds were with his buddies. It wasn't competition, and that makes a huge difference in your mindset, and he knew that. But, hey, give give the guy credit. At least he played all four rounds there, and and the galleries loved it, and that's, I guess, what counts. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think, John? Tiger Woods brings in fans. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Ned hit it on the head with the fatigue thing. He shot a 71, then a 74, and I think a 79 on Saturday. Um, you know, he, he is out of contention, but, you know, he did make the cut, which is surprising. Uh, you know, I have my own feelings about Tiger Woods. You know, when you look at it from strictly a golf perspective, he's absolutely in the conversation for the greatest golfer of all time. Um, he's also in the conversation for one of the worst human beings of all time. So at the same time, you know, we have a tendency to forget about things with our heroes and that's what's happened with Tiger Woods. You know, you've got somebody like Fred couples that had a controversial comment and he's basically been forgotten about for the last year. And then we have Woods out here who's an adulterer and a substance abuser and has endangered other people's lives. And we're still talking about him. So. Well, I mean, he's a guy that's changed he's changed the sport, and that's always kind of a benchmark for me in my mind as far as where people go into the legendary status of whatever sport that they're in. When mm-hmm. they change it, I mean, because he, he basically opened the doors and said, look, this sport can be for everybody. It's mm-hmm. not just for middle-aged white guys walking around, and, mm-hmm. and it's it, especially poignant at this particular golf course which has traditionally been very segregated and has very had a very myopic view of the world that they have fought tooth and nail to change. Now, to their credit, they've changed that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same thing about the, the love for the Masters, the love for Augusta. Mm-hmm. You know, people just have this outpouring, gushing love for it. But yet there's a huge... Huge back history of this that's not very pleasant. Absolutely. It isn't just racial either because they did have the the banning of the females. Exactly. Now Condoleezza Rice has ended that along with several others who Mm -hmm. were of very high high, uh, achievement in Mm -hmm. society. But that's fine. It still doesn't really excuse... And, and and this is, I'm going to get off on my rant here. The, me, the media coverage. The media has put Tiger Woods in their back pocket and made him the high level. He doesn't, uh, as a golfer in his generation, that generation is gone now. He's no, he's a good golfer, but he's not the dominant elite golfer that he was and probably never will be again. But for the media to be, oh, Tiger Tracker and all this sort of thing. was mm-hmm. uh, Yesterday, as an example, yesterday. I flipped on, looked at the headlines, and the headline is, Tiger makes, this is and this is not an exaggeration, Tiger makes the cut. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute, who's in the lead? Oh, the guy's yeah. only nine or ten strokes ahead, but he gets no coverage at all. Right. But, <laughs> you know, in the defense of newspapers and television networks, they're in the business of selling advertising and getting viewers and readers, and Tiger Woods brings viewers and readers to the table that 
normally aren't there. I don't give a wits end about the Masters anymore. <laughs> right. I, I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and to be honest, I'm not familiar with most of the younger golfers. Today. I know there's some tremendous younger golfers, but it just it for me, it just doesn't have that much interest to me anymore. So I don't pay attention to it. But I pay attention today. I've been paying attention this weekend because, well, Tiger Woods is playing. How's he doing? How's mm-hmm. Tiger Woods doing? What's mm-hmm. going on? And I don't know whether that's totally media driven or it's just the public and what we want to know, mm-hmm. whether he's the villain in the story or whether there's a hero. Josh, what do you think? I think we like to watch train wrecks. And so <laughs> yes. and we like redemption stories, too. And we do like redemption stories. It goes both ways. I, I'm not a golf enthusiast. And so whenever I hear the word masters, I think of Monty Python and the meaning of life because one of the kids in one of the skits gets in trouble and he has to play rugby against the masters that day. And it's such a hilarious scene because these are like professional rugby players playing against high school kids and they're just annihilating them. That's what I think of when I hear the masters. Have you watched any of it? No, I have not. John, have you watched any of it? I have. I've watched here and there. Yeah, just like background clips and stuff like that. No, it's been on in the background. But. How much have you watched, Ned? Bits and pieces. I'm more interested in the baseball than. But Joe, you made a very interesting <laughs> point too about we're in the redemptive level of our yeah. sociological thinking oh, with, here. with Tiger Woods. That's where we're at. Definitely. And and should that be? Is that the media's charge? It is not. It's to report on things objectively and to report on the scenario the way it is viewed by the reporter. And every reporter views it as we'll concentrate on him first. That is not objective. That's not the five W's. I'm not even sure that's even taught anymore. Who, what, why, where, and when. <laughs> that's what you report on. No, you're reporting on, as Joe said. Well, Woods, that's a W. <laughs> what, why, when, Woods? Touche, touche. Yeah, so nicely done, Joe. I don't know. I, I mean, as Americans, I think, love the redemption story. They love it. And, and I agree with you, Ned, to a point. They're not, it's not up to the reporters or the media to create the redemption story. It's up to the individual or the team or what, or the place in this mm-hmm. case to create the redemption story. And then the media to report on that exactly. redemption story. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether Tiger Woods, I mean, does he owe anything to any of us? No. Would we like him to say, you know, I screwed up. I'm not, I, I, I made a mess of my life, but what can you expect? The guy that as soon as he could walk, he had a, he had a golf club in his hand, yeah. you know, and everybody told him from that age that he was the greatest. Uh, Josh, you just hit it right there. Yeah. It appealed to his ego. And that's one of oh, the yeah. reasons why he is playing in the, I launched an interview with him done on Tuesday. I think it was and the reporter flat out said, do you think you can win the match? Yes, I can. Well, great mental aspect of things. Oh, yeah. But is it realistic? Hell no. Look at this. He's nine <laughs> over par and what, 18 strokes back of the leader? No, he can't. He can't do that. But why is he in there? Because he felt the, and it, it, it's a subliminal ego push. But nonetheless, he knew the media wanted it. He knew the fans wanted it. So he said, yeah, I can go out. I can win. Mm-hmm. Um, I think golfers... Any sport where it's, I mean, this is truly an individual sport. You are, it's you against the course, you know. And so I think that makes for the psychology of these, these athletes. They have to, they have to believe that. They have to go out there and say, I can win every, every match at every course that I play. Because otherwise, you know, there's no give and take. There's, you're not against a, a specific opponent. So they've got to have that ego, I sure. think, in a lot of ways. There's no question. 
he's a guy that's that's changed the face of the sport, like I said. And there's a lot of guys out there, and I mean that that has to weigh really really heavy on an individual. Just everything that was dropped in his laugh. You guys were talking before the show went on about, hey, I'm you know the Charles Barkley comment. I'm not a role model. I'm not supposed yeah. to raise your kids. I'm not supposed to be the one that teaches them right and wrong. I guess we could point to Tiger Woods and say this is this is wrong. Yeah, this is wrong. Joe, you are expected to behave yeah. as a citizen of the country and follow the rules. And in many cases, he did not. There's a lot of people that don't follow the rules, though, whether they're Tiger Woods or whether it's your next door neighbor or yourself mm-hmm. or True. whatever. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, your local live sports talk show. Let's talk about the event itself mm-hmm. and something that I, I want to get your opinion on. And I think we've talked about this in the past a little bit, Ned, is uh, marketing. Because the Masters, besides the NFL, probably the individual marketing of one event outside of the Super Bowl, this is it. There's well, none better. It's mm-hmm. a very, very good point. Very astute point that you bring up, Joe, because, yes, when did the... A tradition like no other. That started <laughs> over a month ago, people. Yes. Over oh, yeah. a month ago yeah. when yeah. other tournaments were going on at the time. Yep. And in the middle of the basketball games and so forth and so on. And then the, <laughs> the I don't think it's Jim Nance. I think it's somebody else. But the, you know, it's a tradition like no other. And, of course, you're driven to it. That's the marketing that's involved. Mm-hmm. And, indeed, that marketing is right up there with the top of every single event. It's better than... In many cases, better than the World Series, better than the All-Star Games, anything like that. This one one golf event, which is probably, in all honesty, the number one of the four majors. The next major, folks, how many realize that is just a month away? Mm -hmm. And they hold it in Tulsa this year. That's the PGA. It's at Southern Hills. And then the U.S. Open and then the British Open. But the fact is, this one... This one is the focal point for all of them. As far as a a tournament goes, I mean, the U.S. Open to me is far more exciting Mm -hmm. because of the courses that they play Absolutely. It's also the national championship of this country. This one is not, in fact, this one isn't even run by the PGA. This is run by the Augusta National Course. It has made itself, the people who control this, it has made itself into a major Mm-hmm. When it's not even really a, a, a tournament sanctioned by the governing body for pro golfing in the U.S. And that's pretty amazing. That would be like there being another championship game for the NFL mm-hmm. that's not sanctioned by the NFL. You know, there's the Super Bowl and then over here is the Terrific Bowl. And it's sanctioned by Fritos or whoever. Right, right. And, and it gets then, more press. And it gets more press because mm-hmm. it's a tradition like no other. And they have Ned Reynolds reading poetry <laughs> about yeah. it. Like they had Dick Enberg reading his poetry about it, you know. And the pictures. And so, I mean, it's an amazing event. The Green Jacket, Amen Corner, all that mm-hmm. crap. They've done a fantastic job. Well, and it has a mystery and a mystique to it because they don't show certain holes on TV or they used to not do that. I don't know. Are they still that way where there are certain holes that they don't televise? I must admit, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's the way sure. it used to be, I know, because they would talk about it all the time. Like, they wouldn't televise every hole. So the only way to see it is to actually play the course. And I uh, worked for a radio station many years ago that was owned out of a company in Augusta, Georgia. And when had a guy up here from Augusta, his name was Eric, Eric, and he talked this way. And he told <laughs> us all about um, the masters, you know, and how when the Masters wasn't going on, you know, all the caddies were African-Americans and how it was yes, sir, no, sir, you know, and it was 
interesting to hear the stories that coming from the perspective of somebody that lived in that area and what they thought of the event. Mm-hmm. Joe, uh, this is the one that surprised me. And, I, you know, I'm an old man and been following all this and never realized, you know, always reported on the events. But my old news director from many years ago took a job at Augusta. She was the the head of it. And she said, hey, Reynolds, have you ever been down here to the Masters? I said, no, I have not. She said, do you know anything about the Augusta National Course? I said, no, but it's the halcyon area of all of golf. She said, Ned, it is in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. right there. You've got you've got bars and honky tonks and all that mm-hmm. all around it, but you never ever see that. So you're driving down the street and here's a come and go and that's just all sorts of regular things. There's the entrance to Augusta National. Yep. Right there. It is in the middle of town. Mm. And I said, You're kidding. Nope, it is not. That's right. <laughs> I've, I've heard it's it. not that Augusta itself in that area is not very attractive part of the city either. Yeah, it, it may not be. So, may not be. But it's, it's. I mean, can you think of, can you guys, besides the Super Bowl, think of anything that gets this much attention as far as the sporting event goes? One single event. Maybe Wimbledon? No. Not, not really. Yeah, yeah. Not even Wimbledon. That, no. Wimbledon's two weeks. This is this is four days. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the Super Bowl does and the playoffs do. I guess the Olympics, every, you know possibly would be in there but it's still it's still two week event yeah and then right the, over a concentrated period no i'd have to say this is yeah. unique yeah, I and, would agree. and so would the u.s open would be mm-hmm. uh, into this same category too and cbs i mean when they're the the that carry this mm-hmm. along with espn i mean they opened up their checkbooks a few years ago when they <laughs> signed a deal because they signed a no commercial deal for a while in this too they i don't did. know if that's still going on it, it is it is it isn't a no commercial it's that this portion of the Masters is brought to you by Thus and Such and So and So. Right back to the action. Yep. And no commercial as such, but they do get a mention. Really interesting. And it's going on right now. And who's the leader, Ned? Tell us. Scotty Scheffler, and this is hardly a surprise. He's the number one golfer in the world. He's been on an absolute roll to start out the year. He's won, I think, three tournaments already. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who is in the groove, is how the athletes like to say it. He's got his game focused 100%. And while he may not win today, he has been the leader from tee to green so far. Now, he's, he faltered a little bit yesterday, but nine under par mm-hmm. and a really a st- not, not um, how can I term it? He, there's nothing spectacular about the way he mm-hmm. plays. It is just <laughs> very solid golf. Mm-hmm. Well, we're just as guilty as the rest of the media because we talked about the Masters for almost 20 minutes and it took us. 18 of those to get to the leader. <laughs> we'll be back with more Ned Talk next on 104.7 The Cave. <laughs> right. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. On a beautiful Sunday afternoon, doing Ned Talk. Just four guys sitting around chatting about sports. We covered the Masters. Let's get to a story we didn't get to talk talk about last week. We had so much to cover last week. Uh, Missouri State Lady Bears have a new basketball coach. First of all, let's start out, Ned. Where did Coach Mox go? University of Virginia. Mm-hmm. 
conference, right? She's in a, in a power conference, uh, ACC. Come on, that says it all. The new coach is coming from the ACC That's at right. Duke. Tell us about her. Well, I don't really know too much about her. I know the one interview we've been able to do so far was excellent. She's uh, obviously very polished about being around the media. Uh, was the assistant coach at Duke. She's a former head coach at Virginia Commonwealth. And as a matter of fact, Virginia Commonwealth is kind of a mid-major D1. And she is that school's all-time winningest coach. That, yes. that says something right there. I remember her as Beth Morgan. Yes. When she played at Notre Dame. And she's a fine player. Her dad... I don't know for how many years, but he was the head baseball coach at Indiana, mm -hmm. Big Ten conference team. And she obviously has a very good athletic pedigree about her. But at, at Notre Dame, she was a fine player right before. Well, she played maybe a little bit with Neil Ivey uh, with those Notre Dame teams. But she is a product of Muffet McGraw. And McGraw, Mrs. McGraw is among the uh, all-time great coaches of women's basketball. Anyway, Beth, Beth uh, Morgan Cunningham. Uh, she has four kids, mm -hmm. that, and she's still <laughs> coaching basketball. Hey, that, that says something right there. These are small kids, too, that she has. Mm -hmm. But as a player, she was, for a, for a while, she's no longer the case, but for a while she was Notre Dame's all-time leading scorer. Mm -hmm. She played for some terrific Notre Dame basketball teams. Her most recent job has been an assistant or actually more of associate head coach uh, to, uh, at Duke. And so she has that, uh, she has that pedigree about her. So, from Duke coming up to Missouri State, this is a good program, and, and she knew about Missouri State because uh, Cheryl Burnett had recruited her mm. out of high school. She opted to go to Notre Dame, but the fact is that she knew about Missouri State. She knew about Jackie and, and the historic march this team has made as a mid-major to two Final Fours. Mm -hmm. So, uh, she was more than anxious to come aboard and, and see what can happen, and I think she'll do a very good job. You know, the, the sports cycle is so tight these days that I was I was sitting here and I was going, gosh, something happened this last week that was a big deal in college basketball. I, I can't remember what it is. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yep. The men's national championship and the women's national championship mm -hmm. happened on Sunday and Monday, respectively. Who's the national champion for the women? South Carolina. And that's what we kind of thought. We kind of mm -hmm. th thought that way. We A lot of us were saying don't bet against Geno, but... Mm -hmm. South Carolina had some pretty strong players. They won that game. And they were the better team. This is not a fluke. Connecticut, the fact that Connecticut was in the championship game is a testimony to Geno's coaching. Yes. In fact, I, I'm of the opinion this was his best coaching job ever. He has the one superstar on the team, did not have a very good shooting team. Yes, the superstar, Beckers, she's a fine offensive player. But other than that, they didn't have a lot of consistency. And yet, there they were in the championship game. But from a physique standpoint, from a quickness standpoint, they were a no match right. for a South Carolina team. They <laughs> got the biggest kick out of Beckers, who is a fine player. Yes. Uh, she could not get free to save her soul. Mm -hmm. And at one point, one of her teammates who was setting a pick had had enough of this and took a sidestep and knocked the defender right on her derriere <laughs> and got offensive foul this way. <laughs> so now, but Connecticut, they'll be back. You, know, you don't uh, sell Geno short. They'll be, mm -hmm. they'll be back and a competitor again. But South Carolina is the better program. And let's talk about the men's national championship, of course, uh, KU. 
I'm sure that uh, if Jake were here, he wanted us to say rock, chalk, talk there. Get a chalk, Jayhawk. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Whatever the Jayhawk fans really like. But uh, <laughs> but they won bum, the national. Bum, 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 there you bum. go. <laughs> they, won the, they won the national championship bringing home the, the, Naismith, the Naismith Trophy. Let's talk about that game a little bit. Very good basketball game. It North was. Carolina had the lead for quite a bit of that game, and then the Jayhawks uh, walked away with it at the end. What'd you think? North Carolina was up by double digits. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Kansas with the biggest comeback I think in Division One championship history. They were down by fifteen, uh, forty to fifteen. But you, I'm not forty to fifteen, forty to twenty five. But you knew at the time, at least I felt this, and of course Charles Barkley on TV, it ain't over yet, boys, because he had picked Kansas to win the thing. Mm -hmm. And you had to feel Kansas missed so many. I mean, it was a bushel basket full of crib shots underneath that kind of rolled around the rim or bounced off Mm -hmm. the rim on the the other side. You knew this wasn't going to continue because they are too good a team for Mm -hmm. that to happen. And you saw it. I, I think Self probably went in at halftime and said, hey, Guys, you're better than this. You played better. You just didn't work. Go out there and play your game. And they did. The The one that I want to remember, the the aspect of this, and I'm not a Jayhawk fan, not a fan of anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm just reporting. But when Kansas, uh, toward the end of the game, when the big kid Baycott went down with the ankle injury, Ugh. Kansas was 5-on-4. That's mm-hmm. a power play. They could have gone on and put the game on. They did not do that. Mm-hmm. The guard came up court. He, he kind of stopped over the half-court line and bounced the ball, waited for big guy. Referees can't call time. Mm-hmm. They cannot do that until every team is 5-on-5. Five five. Waited for him to get back on court, and that's when the officials called yep. time. I thought that was a genuinely outstanding act well. of sportsmanship. Let's talk about Bill Self for just a minute because you talked about Gino Oriema being his best coaching job, and it was because Gino had not the tools or the players that he normally has, Bill Self probably his best coaching job because uh, well there's a big there's a big thundercloud hanging over his head this year the FBI investigation so what do you think about him and what do you think about the KU program well I do think it's probably going to come to a head here before too much longer because they have not been it it has been addressed but not for the public yet but something will happen. A bit, you have to think it'll happen because there are too many accusations against the school of illegalities that Joe are now allowed, but not when Kansas was doing them. That was just it. There is the there is the uh, paradox to this entire circumstances. Some of these things that they're accused of, hey, fine, the nil and mm-hmm. so forth and so on, that's all allowed now, but it wasn't then. So what's going to happen to them, whether or not they run afoul, I think probably some penalty of some sort will be forthcoming. Mm-hmm. But how serious it's going to be or how significant, rather than serious, they're all serious. But how significant it'll be, I think, remains to be seen. For me, the biggest applause of the tournament probably goes to Hubert Davis. Because oh, yeah. stepping into a, a storied program and taking them to a national championship game... Mm-hmm says a lot about him as a person and him as a coach and so i you know my hat's off to hubert davis for after the job after a slow start after a very slow start john your thoughts in the national championship uh you mentioned hubert davis and he needs to be commended he absolutely just took those guys on his shoulders coached the hell out of those players i mean i remember hubert davis playing for the knicks because i'm a knicks fan and you can I'm sorry. Are you you going to admit that on air? I know. It's sad. (laughs) But, you know, Davis was a good player at UNC, and he was a 
a decent player in the NBA, but man, he rallied those kids. They were young and he got the most out of them. Um, my little soap bops I'm going to stand on that I saw come to fruition yet again in the tournament. You know, people talk about the shift in baseball and they talk about why don't they just bunt? Well, you have the same situation in the NCAA and what wins ball games down the stretch is free throws. And it is a lost art. I don't know how as a, as a, Nation, We got so far away from free throws. But if you notice the teams that mount these comebacks, they make their free throws. And that's key. It's a 10 to 15 point swing in the game if you can shoot 70 to 80 percent. You've got guys out there that shoot 40 percent from free throws. And it's just it's horrifying to see. And John, in my opinion, that is why Duke lost to North Carolina in the semifinals. John Oliver making free throws great again. Let's talk to Josh Roberts. What did you think, Josh? Did you watch any of it? I did. I watched both of the games, actually, the women's and the men's championships. It was very interesting. I was impressed with South Carolina, not knowing much about them, but their Mm -hmm. coach apparently is a pretty – she's a pretty spectacular coach. This Mm -hmm. may be kind of a dynasty for them coming up here in in the future, depending upon their recruiting. The men's game, I – all you know, it's weird. When I did my one bracket, I almost picked North Carolina to be in the final four – because I because they had beaten Duke in the regular season, but then I thought no, they had a down year. They're an eight seed. It's not going to happen. I wish I had. But anyway, uh, it was a great game. And North Carolina mm-hmm. dominated the first half. You're right. Kansas didn't shoot very well in that first half, and then whatever they talked about at halftime it totally <laughs> changed everything. Which you see that a lot. You see that a lot in basketball, especially, and especially at the college level, because the coach can can rally those troops. He can get those players re-motivated, get it out of their mind that they played poorly in the first half, and then they played their game in the second half. It was an impressive comeback. And so Kansas definitely deserved that win. And I would never take anything away from North Carolina for what you guys are saying. They they had an amazing season. Even though it has been 50-some years that I've been away from my home area, both coaches, Philadelphia. Yep. Nice. Gino Oriema, of course, he, <laughs> he's with St. Joe and coaching the guys. It's St. Joe, not head coach, but as an assistant coach. And then the Connecticut women's job came open, and he knew fully well, fully well, about the young lady who is South Carolina's coach. He's at Dobbins Tech, mm-hmm. all-stater at Dobbins Tech, and then All-America at Virginia. It's Dawn Staley. And uh, Dobbins Tech, guys, is right across the street from Connie Mack Stadium. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, Connie Mack. <laughs> or what used to be Connie what Mack. What used Stadium. to be. <laughs> yeah, you have to uh, admire a guy that would manage baseball in a suit and wore a straw hat. We'll be back in a moment with more Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. You know, we've been talking about the uh, media and the press, and and I guess we just have to lump ourselves in with that evil group because we're doing the same thing. (laughs) 
we're waiting all the way to the third segment of the show to talk about the start of the Major League Baseball season. A few years ago, it would have pushed everything aside. Mm -hmm. But now we're here we are, third segment, and we're talking about the beginning of baseball. And I'm I'm happy to see it back. Uh, I told Ned before we went on the air, I feel his, his anger and his pain because Aaron Judge turned down a 200 and $25 million eight-year contract because the talks had stalled. The only stalling should have been his pen signing that contract. Right. So that's ludicrous. I'm uh I'm uh I'm not very happy about that. But anyway, let's let's talk about the season and what mm-hmm. we've seen so far. The Cardinals look pretty good, but they're playing a pretty bad team. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that now. They, uh, in fact, I will be very surprised if the Cardinals lose any games in this four-game series, and will carry that further. I'll be surprised if they lose any games this season. Pittsburgh. Yep. I'm going to disagree just a bit, Joe. It's not that they're bad; it's that they're so young. They're yes. awful. Goodness, this is a it's it's a triple A and maybe even a double A yes. level team that's masquerading as a major league team, and it's not the players' fault. They're and they're trying. It's the owners' fault. It is. It is. And they are quote unquote rebuilding. Well, they seem to be rebuilding every single year, but they're they're just simply not a competitive baseball team. So the Cardinals should sweep this series. Then the Cardinals get the Kansas City Royals for mm-hmm. two. Then go to Milwaukee to help the Brewers open up their home season. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Milwaukee's going to be a challenger. Uh, do I like what the Cardinals have? Yes, I think they have a pretty well balanced team. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally sold on their pitching yet, but it'll uh, probably come around uh, when when Flaherty, if Flaherty is able to throw this year, then it'll come around and be a little bit more effective. But the fact is that their pitching does need help offensively. They should be very good. Mm-hmm. They have. It, it's a it's a well put together team. It's a solid ball club, and so are the Kansas City Royals. Yes, watch out, gang. They are going to be certainly heard from. Not to predict the championship, but they're going to be heard from. Yes, let's stop right there for just a second. The Royals have a stud, a bona fide yes, stud named do. Bobby Witt Jr. He was here last year with the Northwest mm-hmm. Arkansas Naturals. Not for all year, but he was here. We saw what he can do. Mm-hmm. He is a terrific player. He is playing third base. In fact, yesterday, opening day, he had the game winning, knocked in what was the winning run. It's the Cleveland Guardians. Guardians. (laughs) I know. I I know. You know, the funny thing was they put the score up the other day, and I thought, the Royals are beating who? Who is that? Oh, yeah, it's Cleveland. This just can't be. Yeah. Anyway, we'll anyway, so yesterday, yesterday they're in a nothing, nothing ball game. A pitcher's, mm-hmm. what is this? A pitcher's duel in 2022? Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's nothing, nothing in the 10th inning. The Indians get a runner on uh, in scoring position, and somebody hits a laser down third base, and this kid makes a yeah. circus uh. play, circus play, and uh, gets the Royals out of the inning, and then the Kansas City wins it one nothing in the last of the tenth. But he is a very he's better than very good. He is a superstar in the making. That was a hundred mile an hour ball that was hit at him. He made the play, and then he bounced the ball. There was a runner at third who was going on contact, and he threw the runner out at home. And it was it was an amazing play. Yes, uh, uh, Perez on the other side of that did an amazing mm-hmm. job too. What have you seen so far, John? Um, what really you know I was kind of bittersweet going into the beginning of the season just because of what happened before it started. What's really gotten me back, and I can tell there is progress with this new bargaining agreement, there are a lot of young stud players that made the opening day roster. A big counterpoint to what we've seen. You mentioned Bobby Witt. He is a five-tool superstar. The Mariners, Julio Rodriguez, their new center fielder, 
absolute superstar in the making. The Tigers, Spencer Torkelson made their roster. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a tremendous player. Riley Green would have made it had he not fouled a ball off his foot and mildly fractured it. I think he's going to be out about a week. And then you've just got people everywhere, these prospects that have come up. Uh, C.J. Abrams, which is a name a lot of people may not know for the Padres, super talented infielder, another guy that's just got all sorts of potential written on him. So that's the biggest thing for me this year is seeing these young guys and how they progress finally getting their feet wet in the major leagues. One more da- a name, John, that I want to throw in is Hunter Green of the oh, Cincinnati Reds. Yes, this the is Reds. a kid. He gets the start today mm-hmm. against the Atlanta Braves. I don't know. Is that a night game? I, I must admit, I don't know. I'm not sure. But this kid Green is a, is the real deal. Mm-hmm. He's he went to uh, he didn't he got a scholarship to UCLA, turned it down because of the huge signing bonus that he got. Did go to LSU mm-hmm. as a student in the Southern University, which is located down there. Very sharp, very high IQ kid mm-hmm. who can really pitch, and he's oh, all yeah. of 22 years right. old. Gracious. But, yeah, he's another big-time prospect. The ages are hugely exciting. And one name that I heard people dredge through the mud in the abbreviated spring training, Wander Franco, who is probably the highly, most highly touted prospect out there. People said, oh, he only batted, you know, .56 in the spring. He's going to be, this is going to be a down year. Well, he only went three for four in the first (laughs) game, folks. I'm sorry. I think he's going to be okay. The Cardinals lineup's perfect example of the way baseball's going yes. and it's the middle guys that are getting squeezed out of the game again. Mm-hmm. You're seeing a lot of young guys getting a chance to play and then you're seeing kind of a core group of guys that have established themselves as maybe not yeah, you know, Paul Goldschmidt's probably a bona fide superstar. Mm-hmm. Arenado's probably at the level just below that. Pujols is a name that everybody knows. Yadier mm-hmm. Molina is a name that everybody knows. And then you're surrounding those guys with younger players with a lot of talent, and that seems to be the way that the lineups are going yes. in baseball. Now, I, I, I would admit I watched the Yankees and the Red Sox play yesterday, and the, I still don't know virtually anybody on that Red Sox line <laughs> in that lineup except Jackie Bradley Jr. and yeah. Xander Brogarts, the rest of that team's. But they still very good baseball team. Mm-hmm. You just answered the question. Once the game on tonight, I forgot that the Yankees are playing Red Yankees Sox. Red Everybody Sox. wants to see that. Of one. course. <laughs> well, yeah. It's the number one rivalry in all the sports. Yeah, I right. disagree. I think the Dodgers-Giants can equal that. but nah. And the Cubs-Cardinals here in no, the Midwest. No. You're wrong about that. <laughs> How are your Cubs doing there, Josh? Oh, they're 2-0 and playing a series against uh-huh. the Brewers, so I'm very happy with that. They're off to a good start. I don't know very many people on their roster, but I'm trying to learn it. <laughs> they have a lot of players that weren't there last year mm-hmm. so uh but yeah they're off to a good start so i've noticed too a little and i want to get everybody's opinion about this seems like tempers are already running pretty hot we're seeing some <laughs> we're seeing I, I don't know whether everybody's trying to get through all the business that they had from last year as early as they possibly can because you know you know how this works for those of you scoring at home Lucky you. (laughs) How this works is that if somebody gets hit in a Major League Baseball game, that gets filed away, Mm -hmm. and then it gets taken care of at a later date, sometimes Mm -hmm. another season, sometimes multiple seasons later, and it looks like the teams are trying to take care of their business early in the year this year so they can, you know, not do it during the season goes along. So what's your thoughts? We've had a couple of brawls Mm -hmm. already to start the game. I think it's just the way things have morphed a little bit. Mm -hmm. In the case of the Nationals and the Mets, it was... Um, a hit. Matter of fact, I think there were four of them in that yes. game before the Mets said cease and desist and went out there and had a little brawl. 
And the other one, the, the Cubs Brewers, I don't really know what precipitated it, but it's probably that same kind of, uh, of action or inaction. I think you can call it that. Spring training, remember, guys, was greatly reduced this year. Mm-hmm. And that makes a big, big difference in getting your timing down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, yes, spring training under the old way may have been too long. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it may have been too short. Mm-hmm. There were several Cubs players that got hit in the game yesterday. And then, yeah. and then it was obvious that, that they were throwing at Andrew McCutcheon because they oh, missed yes. him the first time, the yeah. second time they got him. <laughs> and when you, when you see that, you know, yeah. I think where it needs to stop at is if you don't get him the first time, then you need to go on and pitch to him. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's just way too obvious when right. you come way in and he has to move. And then the next pitch hits him in the back. It's just... Yeah. It's, Come on, guys. There's a Use couple of sense. there's a couple of disturbing trends. Um, you mentioned with the the hit batsmen. I think that, as Ned alluded to, the pitchers didn't get stretched out enough. So you're going to see a lot of that early on. The most disturbing trend to me is that strikeouts are at an all time record pace, yeah. and that makes me nervous. Yeah, I, I I I think what makes me nervous is in the games I've watched, people spend a lot of time talking about next year mm-hmm. when it. It's pretty obvious that the game will change substantively next year yes. because that is the year that the shift will be outlawed. It mm-hmm. is the year of the pitch clock. It will be the year of the larger bases, and it might be the year of the robo-ump. Mm-hmm. So interesting to see everybody's talking about next year already. Right. I hope you're wrong about the ump. And, and you're right. It is something being considered, but mm-hmm. that's not what I want to see personally. Uh, over at the AA level, I did go to see the Springfield Cardinals on their Friday night game, and the bases are larger. There's yep. no no question about that. And the shift is outlawed in, in minor leagues. Correct. The pitch clock is going to be adjudicated to the finite point, but it hasn't started yet and won't for about a week and a half or two weeks until everybody's accustomed to what goes on. But it isn't 20 seconds anymore. It is 18 That's seconds. Right. And the pitchers are... They're going to... They're gonna, the fellow who runs the uh, clock, I'm not going to tell you his name, but uh, former <laughs> former Bears coach, yep. has said, Reynolds, uh, a lot of questions about whether or not this does speed up the game, but it does. It Our does. games were 15 minutes quicker mm-hmm. last year with this pitch clock. So if that is the if that's the reason for having it, more power to him. Yes, I like the strategy too of making the the pitchers pitch to three batters. I think that the, mm-hmm. that's been a good good strategy point for baseball. I think some of these things that we probably looked at and thought were egregious at one point, really not that big of a deal. Right. I saw a story on ESPN yesterday about the first DH, Ron Bloomberg, mm-hmm. and it was really startling to watch him hit because he was a left-handed hitter, and, and one of the, the previews they show was him lacing a ball out the left field, going the opposite way, which you would never see a DH do that in this in this day and age. No. I hope that that changes. I I'm going to ask you guys a quick trivia question here. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, National League hitters have been the DH over the course of years since interleague baseball. They could mm-hmm. use the DH in American League cities, but with the new mandate now that it's allowed the National League, who got the first hit as a DH? As a DH, first official National League DH hit. Hmm. You just mentioned him a second ago. Ron Bloomberg? No, no, no. no. He's, he's long gone. <laughs> I'm going to say Andrew McCutcheon. That's exactly who it yep. was. Andrew McCutcheon in the Cubs Brewers. He got a fourth inning single. That's that why they it. hit him. 
<laughs> yeah. And, uh, he just, that's exactly right. He's yep. in the trivia book, so hit his behind. <laughs> Congratulations to Andrew McCutcheon. We'll come back and wrap up Ned Talk in just a moment on 104.7 The Cave. <laughs> You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Yes, we are a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. There was really not a whole lot of Chiefs news to report this week, not much going on unless you were paying attention to the bazillion mock drafts that are out there. I think there's more mock drafts out there than there are brackets for the NCAA tournament. I mean, it's crazy. And they're all, I mean, they're all over the place. They, they, put, they put them out on the internet, these mock drafts. This is the mock draft by this and such. Well, who the hell is this guy? Right. And what's he doing giving a mock draft? Anybody can put one out there. Where's the Ned Reynolds mock draft? Ned Reynolds' mock draft is hasn't hasn't happened yet. <laughs> it, it, it'll happen the night of the draft when it starts. Okay. So, what, I mean, what's your gut feeling though? I've, I've I've heard edge rusher. I've also heard that they were going to look for a wide receiver, try to get a young mm. wide receiver. Do you since they've got so many picks, do you see the Chiefs maybe packaging something up and making a trade? It here? is possible because they have number twenty nine followed by number thirty. Mm-hmm. They have those two back to back. Really feel like they look at a wide receiver. Is the the whole formula for looking for wide receivers is it that big out of co- uh, college? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, the kid from Alabama is a very high prospect, but he's coming off knee surgery. Mm-hmm. So, is it a risk? Well, everything's a risk. Oh, sure. But I do think they look for a wide receiver, mm-hmm. and I would think a D back. Yep. That's what I would guess. Are you surprised? We'll go around the table quickly and, and try to answer. Are you surprised that both Daryl Williams and the Honey Badger? Still on the market. I am, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, Williams and, and the Honey Badger. Honey Badger is probably pricing himself pretty high, and uh, he's not a kid anymore. He's was approaching 30, maybe 31, somewhere around there. And it could be that he's the price tag that he put on himself for the Chiefs mm-hmm. is not being met by some of these other clubs, which means that he could come back to Kansas City again. Absolutely. And the same with Daryl Williams. He had a tryout with the Arizona Cardinals the other day. He's a good running back. Is he a great running back? Has he priced himself out? That's the mm-hmm. the key, Joe, is where you have put in your mind what your price tag should be. Yeah, well, we talked about that earlier in baseball. <laughs> it's just, it, you know, it... it it's so strange how the draft has become a major event, too. I mean, maybe maybe that's what I, we were getting at earlier mm-hmm. when we were talking about the Masters is, is there's been so much talk about the draft since the end of the football season that every time somebody says, well, it's it's just three weeks away, I think, my God, is it? Still three weeks right. away? <laughs> Hasn't this happened already? Again, Joe, it is the media influence. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, heck, when I was even starting out in this business at, uh, at KY3, we cared about the draft. It yeah. happened. You look for it on the wire. Oh, they got, got the, mm-hmm. such, so. It is the folks on the four-letter network who made it what it is. Mm-hmm. And that is a showcase that is so overhyped. Good mm-hmm. Lord. They're on the clock. 
Yeah. What clock? I mean, right. you're looking at something here. They already made their choice. Come on, folks. Mm-hmm. It's all designed for TV because it was started by TV. The greatest line, I think, that it's, and I think this is probably true, was Pete Rosell, ESPN, went to him. They said, Mr. Rosell, we want to uh, televise the draft. And his reaction was, why? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Come on. Well, I mean, it's a huge thing now. It it's, it's just amazing. And I find that I'm caught up in it, too, because I really do, like, look at these things almost every day. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm i a, a big baseball fan. You guys know that. I talk mm-hmm. about that all the time. But uh, football has become a bigger deal to me. And I... Uh, consider myself a casual fan of football and we started doing the show and even really kind of a casual fan of the chiefs and then i find myself more into it and i don't mm-hmm. know whether i've just drunk the kool-aid or whether it's <laughs> you know whether this is something i really should who are the chiefs gonna take who is right. this guy you need to know about his lineage and everything mm-hmm. that's happening with him and what's his credit score you know just to see if everything's gonna work out right you have mm-hmm. fallen victim to the hype i know yes. <laughs> i know i need to go i need to go over to your house and just hang out and watch whatever it is you watch what are you watching this afternoon ned Masters? I am pulling weeds this afternoon Ooh, and doing wow. some raking. Ned's doing weed this mm-hmm. afternoon. Uh, what, what about I'm you, talking John? This is weeds. Oh, okay. weeds. All right. weeds. Glad you clarified yes. that. What are you oh. doing, John? Uh, I'm going to try to watch the Cardinals game by any means necessary, so I'll leave it at that. All right. And what about you, Josh? What are you going to watch? Oh, I may try to find the Cubs if they're on. We'll see. Mm-hmm. That sounds like fun. Everybody doing something exciting. Ned's going to be outdoors, and, and baseball's on, and the Masters is happening. Enjoy your afternoon. We'll be back, I think, next week. We're still talking about that, but we should be back next Sunday at noon. Have a great week. Download us as a podcast. It's Ned Talk. Thanks once again to Corbin Campbell, Mike the Intern, Nick Fury, and Brian Tyndall. See ya.